Uh, so a few months ago, BBC America rolled out a show called Dynasties, and it was a fascinating look at the animal kingdom where they were profiling different types of animals to get an understanding to how the animal kingdom really works. Now, as amazing as the cinematography is on, on this show, and you should definitely check it out, uh, in some ways it's pretty predictable, right? Like lions do what lions do. <laughs> they do it really well, don't get me wrong, but they eat and they sleep. They hunt, they kill, and then they go take a nap for like 20 hours a day. Gazelles are similar. Gazelles have never reinvented themselves in the history of their existence. <laughs> they run. They spend their days grazing in a field, waiting for the roar of the lion, and then they all run, um, and whoever is, they just basically make it their goal to outrun the slowest gazelle <laughs> so they don't get eaten. But what would make for epic TV is something that would never happen. Like, there would never be a gazelle gathering where someone says, you know what, y'all, listen. We ain't running no more, y'all, straight up. <laughs> I got a plan. Let's go to the lions. They're all full and dazed because they ate Rick yesterday. <laughs> We're going to attack the lions. Now, that would make for must-watch TV, but it, it, it will never happen because gazelles do what gazelles do. Lions do what lions do. Humans are different. We do what we can imagine. For thousands of years of recorded history, it is littered not with a, a common theme of doing the same thing over and over again, but men and women dreaming that something could be different, and then putting in their dreams into practice and walking alongside God for these God-given dreams to do something different. What would happen if in this room we determined to get some time away with God and ask God what is his dream for our lives? Now, one of the things we have talked about a lot here at Renaissance is a theme of suffering. And this is one of my personal passions because uh, I don't want anybody that's under my leadership to be unable to withstand a difficult day. I want you to be fully prepared for if and when trials and tribulations and difficult moments happen. I want you to be able to live a life of purpose even amidst painful adversity. But all of life is not suffering. All of life is not just making it through. What I hope for us today is that the lid of our brains will be open and we would be able to dream a little bit. Let me define dream before we get too far down the road. Dream is the influence of the Spirit of God on our sleeping and waking thoughts. The Bible um, tells us many things about the Holy Spirit. He tells us he'll, that he'll be a comforter. He will be with us at all times. Jesus makes a pretty ridiculous claim. He tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than him next to you. This Holy Spirit wants to influence you. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to push you well beyond what you're uh, currently imagining is possible for your life. Now, you and I, in order to have dreams, we need to have permission, and we need to have the imagination to see not what's in front of us, but to dare to dream, dare to dream that there is more for us than it's possibly happening in our life, to accept a different possibility for the future. Now, all of us 
um, this is a message for all of us. This is not just to leaders or people who are ordained or doing stuff in church ministry. Uh, but God wants all of us to, to dream. Uh, there's two scriptures that I want to get to before we get to our main scripture today about Joseph, the dreamer. Uh, and they come from the book of Ephesians. And it's written by a man named Paul. And Paul is writing these two scriptures to everyday, ordinary Christians. He's not writing this to just the church leaders. He's not writing this to the bishops and people who wear funny clothes. He is writing this to the ordinary people. And here's what he says. Here's his prayer for them. And here's my prayer for all of us today. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be made uh, aware so that you may know what is the hope of his calling what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty, mighty working of his strength? Here's what Paul is praying for, that the lid of your imaginations would be opened and that you would get a glimpse, you would get a glimpse of the hope to which God has called you to. Spoiler alert, it's bigger than sitting here listening to me tell bad jokes. That, that wasn't supposed to be funny. I don't tell bad jokes. <laughs> what God has intended for you is beyond your imagination. It's so much bigger. Here's the problem with American Christianity. We've reduced it to a spectator sport. We have reduced it and put... Uh, preachers and all these other people who are gifted in one area or another, we've put them on a pedestal as if the Holy Spirit of God inside of you is less than what's inside of them. Paul prays further, and he gives us the Ephesian church this further instruction. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Currently residing in the heart of everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus is an immeasurable power that can do more than you can ask or even imagine. Imagine is this word that says we can form an idea around. What's Paul saying? He's pushing. You don't even have the full ability to comprehend the power that, that lies inside of you right at this moment. And God wants to unleash this power in you to do things in you and through you that you did not think possible. In order to do this, we need to first allow ourselves to dream a little different. That we can accept that there could be a different reality than the one that we're currently living in. Now, Biggie said it best, it was all a dream. <laughs> when Renaissance uh, first started in 2014 in the open public services, Renaissance had been a dream in my mind and in the mind of other people for a very long time. 2001, uh, I, was, I was at Christian on campus that went from wilding out to teaching a Bible study like in four months. And um, I'll never forget uh, taking my friends with me to church and inviting my boys with me to church and then saying, hey, man, like, yo, come with me to come to church. And I'll, I'll never forget one day one of my friends actually apologized to me because he went to church and didn't understand what the pastor was saying. Sort of like how you leave most of the time from Renaissance. And I told him, bro, don't apologize. It's not your fault that you didn't understand what was going on. It's, it's the pastor's fault that you didn't understand what was going on. It's his job to make it plain. Now, after a couple of times of inviting different friends to different churches, one of my friends and I decided, you know what? If we can't take him somewhere, 
lets us just create it. My job, invite people. My friend's job, teach the Bible study. I knew everybody on campus, and I invited a ton of people. And um, this was 2001, so like, you had an email address, but you didn't give your email address to nobody. <laughs> like, you had a cell phone, but the daytime minutes were crazy, so you didn't give your cell phone out <laughs> to anybody. So I'd invited everybody word of mouth. And about a week of five days before the first Bible study, my friend got caught up in something and said, Jordan, you know what? I can't teach it. I said, listen, I don't know a lot about everything, but I do know God forgives, bro. So you need to ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> because we have like 30 people coming to this Bible study, and I don't have everybody's number. I don't have their emails. They're just going to look at me like I'm a flake. So I called around to different people on campus who I knew were Christian. And I said, hey, do you want to teach a Bible study on Tuesday night? They were like, no, why would I want to do that? It's a, <laughs> it's a terrible idea. So eventually I went back to my friend and begged him to teach the Bible study. He said, Jordan, if you want this Bible study so bad, you teach it. Uh, I didn't know how to study or prepare for a Bible study lesson. Uh, all I did know was that my aunt had sent me a, a whole bunch of uh, sermon series on cassette tapes. Uh, she sent me the T.D. Jakes four-pack four of sermons, the cassette, the hard plastic shell cassette with the purple and gold, like, you know, all of the decorations on front. And I listened to six hours of T.D. Jakes sermons and distilled it down to one nice 30-minute Bible study. And it was by far the worst Bible study that has ever been taught. I was standing up teaching the group, feeling like, this is terrible. Like, while you're talking, like, this is the worst Bible study. <laughs> but I had another thought that really scared me. While I was standing up there teaching, I looked out at these men and these women, and I said, Jordan, I think this is what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. N nowadays, it's, I'm so much different. Now, I, I come home, and I beat myself up over the transitions that I made in between uh, different points, and I didn't make it as smooth as I wanted it to be. Uh, but then I was teaching at the worst level humanly possible, but I was captured with this dream. What if God has me here to bring people together who don't necessarily want the fluff of church, but they actually do want to wrestle with Jesus in real genuine community? For the next nine or ten years, uh, I let that dream uh, kind of bubble up inside of me, and I, I didn't know what to do with it just yet until April 15th, 2010, and I know the date because of Twitter, and I tweeted something about it that day. Uh, I was sitting in uh, Calvary Baptist on 57th Street, and there was a man named Tim Keller uh, preaching a sermon called God Loves Cities. It was all about church planting. And I don't know if you ever heard a sermon where you truly wish you were not listening to it. <laughs> not because it was bad, but because you knew now that you have heard it, you have to do something about it. And I was sitting there with a lump in my throat, wishing that I would have gone to Bedside Baptist that morning. <laughs> and as I, uh, as soon as I left, I was talking to my wife, and she said, listen, just say it. I said, say what? She was like, just say it. I was like, what? She was like, you want to leave your job and start a church in the city, don't you? I was like, yeah, I do. A couple years passed, September 28th, 2013, and I was in a room uh, with a lot of people it was like 10 people, but it was like 10 people in my apartment. <laughs> and my apartment is small, so it felt like a lot. And uh, we passed out index cards. And this was the first time we were ever gathering. And this was the Harlem church plant. And I passed out the index cards. And I said, listen, y'all, what do you dream God could do through us? 
every now and then on our anniversary time, I'll read those index cards to see, and I'm just like, yo, God, this is crazy what you have done and what you are doing all through the dreams of different men and women who believe that our future reality could be different than the present one we are experiencing. God, you could use us. You could do more in us and through us than we ever could dare to imagine or even ask. And for you to realize God's dreams on your life, because God does have a plan for your life. God does have dreams for your life. There's a number of things that I want us to look at from this text in Joseph, things that you and I need to reject. And before we get to that, I want to read the story of Joseph real quick. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It starts at Genesis 37, uh, verse 3. It says, now Israel, uh, who's Jacob, who we talked about last week, Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. A lot of you guys have seen that in Sunday school back in the day. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were binding sheaves of grain in a field. Suddenly, my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to rule over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Probably should have stopped at the first one. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had, he said. Am I your mother? Am I and your mother and brothers really going to come down and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, their jealousy did not just stop there. Um, As it says a little later in verse 23, it says, When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal, and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin, going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. Now, Joseph's story goes from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, and it would be one really long sermon if we went through all of those verses. Um, And next week, we're going to talk about this 13-year period in between and God's faithfulness to Joseph through a lot of up and downs. But I'm just going to summarize it really quickly. Um, So Joseph spent the next 13 years in Egypt working his way up from a slave to a servant all the way up to being second in command over all of Egypt. Later, Joseph's dream actually does come true. But it doesn't come true in the way that he thought it was going to come true originally. His brothers do, in fact, bow down to Joseph, but it's not the satisfying self Uh, loving thing that he thought it was going to be. Joseph actually kicked everybody out the room because he couldn't stop crying. And later in Genesis 50, after his brothers were afraid of him based on what they had done to him, he says to them, it says, uh, his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Joseph was sent to Egypt for a much different reason, the survival of many people. Now, I want all of us in this room to leave here today determined to get along with God and to ask God to fill their imagination with his dream for your life, because he does have one. Uh, but there's a couple of things that we need to reject in order to truly realize God's dreams in our lives. And the first is fear. The first is fear. If you're going to realize the dreams that God has given you in your life, you're going to have to reject fear. Uh, dreams are like seeds. You can hold them in your hand all day long, but they're not going to do anything until you bury them into the ground uh, and hide them and put them into action to see what they actually look like. A lot of us have fear that paralyzes us. A lot of us have adopted a narrative that is so full of fear that it's become our native language, that we don't even believe or entertain the option that anything else is possible because we're so, uh, we're so resigned to sitting on the sidelines, not being a part of the story. And there's probably a couple of reasons for that. One, uh, quite honestly, I think a lot of us, you've just done stuff. You know your life is not the way it should be. You don't think God could ever use someone like you. The other side is maybe you, you just are afraid of failing. And God forbid that you launch out and try to do something different and it doesn't work out the way that you thought it was going to work out. Now, when I talk about dreams and all these different things, I'm not talking about you leaving your job to get into work at a church or work in a ministry. That's probably true for three of you. The rest of you, God wants to use you right where you are. And I don't want fear to paralyze you in pursuing God's dreams for your life. Jesus tells a very sobering parable in Matthew 25. It's also known as the parable of the talents. And here's what Jesus is saying. For the kingdom of God is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole into the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil and lazy servant. Now, full disclosure, when I first read that, I sounds, it sounds kind of harsh, right? Like, bro, you gave me a dollar, I gave you a dollar back. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> But what does this let us know about the kingdom of God? He doesn't want you taking what God has given you and burying it into the ground. 
He doesn't want you taking your friendships and burying them into the ground. He doesn't want you taking your training, your experience, your personality. He doesn't want you taking that and burying it into the ground. And fear will paralyze you. Fear will, fear will make you think that nothing good is going to happen, that the best option is to do nothing. And that's not the best option. In order for us to embrace a life of God-given dreams, we have to first open ourselves up to the possibility that God is calling us beyond where we are now to a different future that we do not know already. Don't take your life and waste it. Don't take your life and bury it. Now, I'm not saying do something irrational tomorrow, but what I am saying is God wants to use you. And he doesn't want you sitting on the sidelines, hoarding and holding tightly to what you have in your life, waiting for the perfect opportunity. That perfect opportunity is never going to come. So the first thing that we're going to need to reject in order to live out God's dreams for our lives is fear. Because beneath the fear, uh, fear is just a symptom. Fear is just a symptom. Beneath the fear uh, is something much bigger and much more dangerous than that. It's really disbelief. Jesus tells you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you believe those words, if you hold on to those words and say, Jesus, I believe you, you are good, you will never leave me, you will never forsake me, would we really approach life and the situations in the same way, as fearfully as we do? I don't think so. The first thing that we need to reject if we're going to have God's dreams for our lives is fear. The second thing is a big one, and we see this right out of the story of Joseph, is we need to reject a self-centered vision for our lives. One of the things, I don't know who put it up there, and I don't know if this was a, a dig at me or somebody else, or maybe Rachel, but they put up a sign that said, uh, this is not about you. When you come on the stage, it is not about you. It's funny, when Joseph first has his dream, what's it all about? You're going to come and you're going to bow down to me. That's going to be so great. You guys are going to look at me and see how fantastic I am, and eventually you're all going to bow down to me because I am the man. Later in Joseph's life, you see that his life kind of beats a lot of that out of him. Thirteen years later, his dream is no longer them bowing down to him. What does Joseph say about God's purpose and activity in his life? Uh, in verse uh, uh, 20, in Genesis 50 and 20, it says, God planned it for good. And by it, he means all of the things of them selling away, into him selling him away into slavery. He says for this, to bring about the present result the survival of many people. Here's what happens. They come and they actually bow down to him. They do the thing that he thought was going to happen, and it didn't matter to him. Why? Because he knew now that God, what God really was doing in his life was setting him up to help save a lot of people's lives. Joseph interpreted a dream from the Pharaoh that said there's going to be seven plentiful years, and then after that, seven lean years. And in the seven years where everything is flowing, let's stash that away like crazy because there's going to be seven years of famine and drought. When Joseph interpreted those dreams, it saved the lives of countless people in his area. God has to do a lot of work in our lives to refine our dreams, to make them less about ourselves. The natural impulse of all of us in this room, don't let yourself off the hook, is pointing right back to us. And if we're going to really live out God's dreams in us, we need to reject self-centeredness in our lives. Uh, God wants to do a lot of things in you and through you, but it might not necessarily be for you. Now, there's a catch between to living a life of real purpose. Uh, there's a real catch for you living a life of purpose and fulfilling what God wants for you to fulfill in your life, and it's this. 
we struggle with finding what we're called to do and finding purpose because we want to be the end and not a means to an end. Joseph originally wanted to be the end. You're going to come and bow down to me. Later in life, after God worked in his life, he realized that what he was actually there for was to be a means to an end. Everything in your life that you value that has purpose is uh, not an end um, to itself. It is a means to an end. Shovels dig holes. Uh, toothbrush, 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 whatever they're called. Um, they brush your teeth, right? That's what it does. Mouthwash gets rid of bad breath. All these things, they are a means to an end. You use them to produce a result, but that thing itself is not the result. A lot of us in here struggle with God's dreams for our lives because we're trying to squeeze it all back to ourselves. Let me ask you a question. I read this on social media a couple years ago, and it messed me up the whole day. If God were to answer every last one of your prayers you've prayed in the last month, every last one, God goes on a list and says, yep, 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 yep. Would it change the world or would it just change you? So much of our life, our prayer life, it all points back to us. Now, let me step off my high horse for a second. Uh, there were plenty of days, there were plenty of days, uh, some more recent than I'd like to even admit, that my dream, even for Renaissance, was to point back to me. Deep down inside, it, it was my self-centeredness uh, really was another symptom. It wasn't that I was self-centered just for the sake of being self-centered. I was self-centered because I was insecure. Self-centeredness usually find, it finds its root in insecurity, that we don't think that someone else, we don't think that anyone, anyone else is going to take care of us, so we promote ourselves. Now, this is why we need the gospel, um, and this is why we need the gospel message to be something that permeates our life, uh, not just something we hear on Sunday morning, but something that fills our lives and our hearts so that we can actually live, the, live out the dreams that God wants for us. Now, in this story, we see a fascinating thing. Jesus tells a, a scripture, uh, he tells us something in Luke 24, 27, which is one of the most outrageous claims that anybody has ever made in the Bible, and if it's not true, then Jesus is a flat-out lunatic. He says, every story in the Bible, all of these things point to me. All of the stories, beginning with the prophets and the law and everything else, these stories all point back to me. What does Joseph show us about Jesus, and how can this help us with our self-centeredness? Well, Scripture tells us that centuries after Joseph lived, there was another one named Jesus who came to his brothers, who came to his own, as it says in John 1, and his own did not receive him. Jesus was sold for silver and betrayed by the people closest to him. Jesus was stripped naked and abandoned to die and thrown in a pit. But Jesus goes to the cross for us. Why does he do it? Because Jesus had a dream in his mind. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, for the possibility of you and I being reconciled to God set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus is now on your side. So why would you be so concerned with every single uh, minuscule detail of your life needing to work out exactly like you have predetermined it to work out if you have the God of the universe who is with you and who has uh, demonstrated his love for you and going to the cross? Uh, we need the gospel to rid us of our self-centeredness in our lives. Now, on a practical note, a lot of us know this to be very true because the worst people on the planet to be around are people who make everything to be about them. You can be like, yeah, my back hurts. They'd be like, your back hurts. I don't even have a back. 
You're like, all right. That's, that's a weird flex, but all right. And they make every single conversation come back to them. Uh, and nobody wants to be around these people because it's kind of miserable to be around someone who always wants to point to themselves. Everyone who inspires you lives a life not in service of themselves, but in service of others. Jesus, the ultimate example, inspires us to live because he laid down his life for his enemies. Everyone who inspires us lives this way, but it's really hard for us to see this in ourselves. If you're going to live out a life uh, where you're accomplishing God's dreams for you, one of the things that you're going to need to really pray hard for is that God would rid you of self-centeredness. There's a psalm where David prays. He says, Lord, search me and see if there's any wicked way inside of me and show me the way everlasting. That's a good prayer to pray. Another thing we're going to need to reject if we're going to live out God's dreams in our life is we're going to need to reject other people's opinions. Lord have mercy. <laughs> One of the things that we see in the story of Joseph is that right alongside a God-given dream is someone right there ready to try and kill it. And oftentimes, they might be the people that are closest to you. Verse 18 in Genesis 37, it says, They saw him in a distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. There's a fascinating thing about, uh, there's a difference between prophets and critics. Prophets give you tough advice, and then they point you back to God. They might be critical of you, but then they point you to something that's for your repair. Prophets go to you directly for your good. Critics just tell you what's wrong and then they walk away. And sometimes the critics don't even tell you what's wrong to your face, they tell, you, they tell other people what's wrong about you. There will always, always be people who don't see inside of you and inside of the, what God is calling you in your life to, be, to happen uh, for you. There will always be naysayers, there will always be people who sit on the sidelines and try to kill the dream that you have but here's one of the things that I've done in, in my life. One, I think you need to be able to accept criticism from anybody. I don't care if it's a person um, uh, that you just met on the street. You should always take every ounce of criticism and see if there's anything inside of it that you can repent of and then take it from there. But I want you to take it with a grain of salt. A lot of times the people who are the most critical of you, if you look at their life, they're paralyzed by fear. They haven't done anything with their lives. And they're not going to do anything with their lives, and they're mad at you for trying to do something different. Don't be imprisoned by other people's opinions of you. What God might be putting in your heart to dream something different for a different future than you're currently experiencing, people, and even the people closest to you, might not agree with it. They might try to kill that dream, but don't let them. Now, the last thing that we need to reject in order to really embrace God's dreams in our life is, man, we need to reject impatience impatience, the belief that what God wants for me, he wants for me right now. One of the things that we see jumping off the pages to us, screaming at us from the story of Joseph is this. Sometimes it just takes time for God's will to develop in your life, and that's okay. 13 years, 13 years in the life of Joseph, God gives him a dream of what's possible in his life, what he might be doing. Then Joseph is immediately sold off into slavery, is put into the house to work, gets falsely accused, uh, is thrown in prison over and over again. And finally, 13 years later, we finally see this realization of his, in his life. Here's the deal. Don't ever judge God's faithfulness based on your timelines. 
Whenever we do that, we are setting ourselves up for failure. I want to pray for us that God would fill our imaginations um, with what is possible and what he's calling us to do. Heavenly Father, uh, you know your people in this room and you know those of us in here who are even new and asking questions about what's possible for them uh, because they're so confused with where they stand or, or whatever. Father, I pray that we would have a, a deep assurance of your hand guiding us, um, that nothing is truly risky if we're in your hands. And Lord, I pray that we would have boldness to, to dream. And God, we would reject the fear that comes alongside of us doing anything different. And Lord, we would run away from anything that's self-centered that seeks to serve us and not others. And we wouldn't get caught up in other people's opinions. And Lord, we wouldn't be impatient, but we would wait. Lord, you know our lives and our hearts. Would you give us all an imagination, the permission to dream for something different in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.